0: Loneliness is a terrible thing, but what a wonderful thing to have great friends. And the Bible actually has quite a number of great friendships that it describes, and we're going to be looking at five of them over the next month and a half, weaving around our guest speakers. We're going to be looking at five great friendships. They're all different kinds of friendships. And today, um, today I'd like to start with the first friendship that we find in the Bible, and it's a marital friendship it's the friendship between Adam and Eve and it's especially meaningful for me today to be starting here because yesterday Sandy and I celebrated our 39th uh, wedding anniversary and the day before was her birthday so it's always a double header on uh, August 19th and 20th but I thank God that especially for some reason this year we've reflected a lot on how stabilizing just our friendship has been like ultimately you have passion you have all those things but ultimately what carries you through is friendship and it hasn't always been easy in our marriage probably our first we got married in our early 30s we had to unlearn a lot of singleness and um, probably the first two years of our marriage to be honest were not easy years and then by the five-year point, we came to the conclusion that we could not have children. And that turned out not to be the end of the story, but we still, by that, by five years, we, we were walking through the deep pain of, of coming to truly believe we would not be able to have children. And, and, and these, these things can tear you apart. But, but thank God for his grace And and I just want to put in front of you the possibility of marriage being a friendship. It's a covenant, yes. It's it's a commitment to loyalty, yes. But it's a friendship. And thank God for that. So here this first friendship starts being described in the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God said, verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And he brought them to the man, uh, and, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But, verse 20 goes on to say, For Adam, no one was suitable. No suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And this began not only human history's first marriage, but human history's first friendship. Now let me start by, first of all, speaking to the large number of you here today that are single, that are single. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, in spite of Genesis 2, the Apostle Paul says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, It's good for them to stay unmarried. That's a good thing. As I do. So some of the real movers and shakers of the New Testament of the Bible, people like John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself were all single. And he says, I've chosen to stay single, Paul says. The reason why, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And then he'll go on to repeat exactly the same thing uh, to the single woman in the church. And then he sums it all up in verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in And then four incredibly important, five incredibly important words, undivided devotion to the Lord. I just want you, and he'll bend over backwards, say, if you want to get married, it's not a problem. But what I'm contending for, given how hard it is to live for Jesus right now and how much is militating against the church, he says, all I'm interested in is undivided devotion to the Lord. And so I, I want to, even though I'm going to be talking about friendship and marriage, if you're single, you'll find some similar principles to your own friendships. But, but I, I, I just want to use this moment to call you afresh, to embrace your singleness as a calling from God. If you're single this morning, you'll probably still be single by the time you go to bed tonight. Um, so <laughs> given that you're probably not going to change that, why don't you accept it as God's calling, at least for today. And truly... Embrace it as a calling. How do you do that? You take your singleness and you give it to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I surrender my singleness to you and ask that somehow you will glorify yourself through it. That somehow, it, it may not mean that I'm less busy than my married friends, but Lord, let, let there be something of a singular focus that I'm able to have a single person that that will glorify and advance intimacy with you, Jesus, and partnership in your mission. And then, as you do that, uh, don't give up on friendships. Pursue life-giving friendships. And by the way, if you're married, a lot of single people complain, my friends get married and I never see them again. It's like, it's like I think, you know, right now, Sandy and I have some wonderful friends in our lives. And, and, and I'm surprised how many single adults are some of our closer friends. I mean they make great great friends and if you are a single adult um look life is about way more than being married well life's about life-giving friendships and relationships and serving and 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 all of these things so if you're single i just want to encourage you go after life-giving friendships by life-giving they of course won't be sexual relationships but they, they will be emotionally nourishing relationships and hopefully spiritually stimulating relationships. Those those would go into the basket you'd call friends. And then if you are thinking about getting married, I just got to add this because these are going to be two words that keep coming up throughout this series as we look at five significant friendships. Um, avoid marrying somebody you don't trust or respect. And I want to tell you, in the passion of that decision... You can so easily throw out common sense and the myth is this i'll change them after i marry them well i would invite you to tell me in three years how that's working out for you (laughs) i can guarantee i know the end of that story it's probably the most debunked myth in human history and in the passion of it all don't cave into marrying somebody you don't respect or you don't trust. I mean, can you imagine your best friend being somebody that you would say of them, there's nothing I respect about them, and I I, I couldn't trust them farther than I could throw them. I mean, Jesus may call you to love and serve those kind of people, but you're not going to put them in your friendship bucket. How can you have a deep friendship with somebody that you don't don't respect in any way, and you don't trust them at all. I mean, you don't have friendships with people like that. And so you are going to be marrying somebody who will be your friend for life. So don't, don't just cave in and and just, I don't care how passionate you feel, you better marry somebody that can be your best friend. And you're going to have to trust and respect them. And you're going to be stuck with them as they are now, not as after what they might become after you marry them. So marry somebody you'd love to have as your best friend because you trust and respect them so much. And if you are married, let's make it a friendship, right? Let's make it a friendship above all else. And so as we look at this first friendship, this first marriage, and this first friendship in the Bible between Adam and Eve, we see some things that, that really advance this foundation of trust and respect. And the first thing is we encounter mutuality, that, that, that there's a, a back and forth that's even, that's mutual. That there, there's, a, there's a mutual valuing of one another. There's not domination. There's not one person demeaning another person or being less valuable. This is it. Now, it, it's in, let's go back to verse 20. We read it a few minutes ago. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. Helper. That word in the Hebrew is E-Z-E-R. Ezer. And, and, and it's a wonderful word, but it's not a demeaning word. Now, we have to translate it English, helper, I guess. But, but sometimes we think, so, so they're my slave, right? That's my helper. Like... Like, I'm the important one, and here's my servant. Here's my helper. The problem with that is, it, is that it's used twice to describe Adam's new partner, Eve, helper. But it's used in the Old Testament 16 times to describe God himself as our helper. Like Psalm 33 and verse 20. God is our E-Z-E-R. He's our helper, and our shield. God is that. It means he's strong enough to share his strength with you and me. That's E-Z-E-R. That's helper. And so God creates Eve, not subordinate like second class. God creates Eve as somebody who's strong enough to not only be strong, but to share her strength with Adam, because he really needs it. And so Paul will pick up on this in Ephesians. A letter he writes in the New Testament to the Ephesian church in chapter 5. And he's been saying, you ought not to be drunk with wine. Don't be intoxicated like a lot of our culture with alcohol and drugs. But he said, instead, be full of the Holy Spirit. And and then he starts to list things that will mean about our lifestyle. He says, you're going to be full of, you're going to love worship services. You're going to praise God. You know, he's going to do all that. And he says verse 21 of chapter 5, you're going to submit to one another. It's going to change your relationships because all of our friendships are hardwired into our spirituality. It's going to change the way you respond to the people, the way you honor the people, the way you befriend the people around you. And so he said that word that our culture hates, submit. Our culture hates that word, submit. But but he says when you're full of the Holy Spirit, your disposition will be to submit to the other in reverence, out of reverence for Christ because you're clothed with Christ. And so and so you do that. And then he'll go and he'll, he'll talk about how that works out in the employer-employee relationship at work. He'll talk about how that works out in the parent-child relationship in the home, mutual submission in both of those situations. And he starts with marriage, mutually. And he starts with wives, submit to your husbands. And then husbands, he has twice as much to say to the husbands. Husbands, give yourself up. That's tough for us guys. Give yourself up for your wife. Love Christ as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so all of these, all of these things are a part uh, of, of this this mutual submission even in the marriage friendship, because it is a mutuality. And he sums it all up in verse 33 of the last verse of chapter 5 of Ephesians. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself in this self-giving, caring way. You, you, you love your wife, and the wife must respect. He doesn't use the word submit here. He uses one of those core words of friendship. You, you respect your husband. In other words, husbands lay your life down so that your wife can flourish and wives don't fight it, submit to it. And the submission, however, is mutual because we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This mutuality we see going all the way. I'm going to state the obvious here, but I feel like I need to state it as a pastor. There is no place for domestic violence in the life of a spirit-filled believer. Domestic violence, constantly insulting your spouse, putting him down, doing nothing but yelling at him, insulting him, making fun of them in front of other people, hitting them, violence of any kind is of the devil. It's not of the Holy Spirit. And it may be a reflection of your brokenness and sinfulness, but I want to say there is mutuality, mutual honoring, mutual submitting to one another with with not your welfare as the end Product, but the welfare of that spouse of yours as the end product of it. Neither is there just bossing, you know what, Sandy's not my slave. She's not my housemaid and my cook and my slave. Well, she does the cooking, thank God, but, uh, you know, and every couple works out the roles, but we, I honor her. I remember when we were courting how the God put the fear of God in my life, and he says, he says, if I... If I put that woman in your life, you better be careful because I've got my hand on her and don't you do anything to harm her or to block the call of God on her life. And this is submitting to one another and and this mutuality. And it means that we just foster respect for one another and trust for one another. The second word in, in a marital friendship would be the word intimacy, intimacy. Obviously, there's sexual intimacy that needs to be protected by a lifelong covenant because intimacy is so incredibly bonding between two human beings. But let me talk about it in non-sexual ways today. First of all, uh, we've got to come back to Adam and Eve. Um, Adam and Eve. you remember, Adam was put to sleep and God created Eve out of his side. And the man said, verse 23 of Genesis 2, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And the the idea here is there's an emphasis on likeness. Now in Genesis, in the previous chapter, God had given human beings dominion over the animal world. And then God calls Adam in the second chapter to name the animals, and there's no helper suitable for him in the animal kingdom. Um, And so God creates Eve here. And Eve is like Adam in a way the animals are not. And Eve's not there for him to have dominion over her because they together are to share dominion and help administrate God's creation. And so the emphasis here on likeness. She was called woman for she was taken out of man. In other words, she's the same stuff, same likeness as opposed to the animal kingdom. And this is why a man leaves his father and my mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here there was innocence, there was lack of shame that so marred our world. This is before they rebelled against God. This is God's, so, so here you have them created equal. There's no dominance. There's shared life there's sharing of strength with one another and then this intimacy of becoming one flesh and intimacy however at an emotional level as you would build with any friend intimacy requires three things i put the three words on the on the screen first of all it requires time together right hard to have a deepening growing friendship with somebody you don't spend time with or you, and then on top of time, it's communication. So I noticed my two daughters, they've been married six, seven years now, and they still, they still do, do dates with date nights with each other. I mean, and, 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 and you gotta fight these days to get time, even just to spend time with each other. But it's so important, you, you do need time. If intimacy is gonna grow, you do need time. But then on top of time, you want to fill that time in part with communication. Now, sometimes Sandy and I will just sit quietly together or we'll watch something together. And it's just nice being together. That, that's part of it. But, but at some point, you've got to talk. <laughs> at some point, you've got to talk. You know, I sometimes walk into a restaurant and I see a table full of people and nobody's talking to each other. They're just all sitting there looking at their phones. And I want to tell you, especially if you're a teenager, um, um, those phones are wonderful things. I have one, I use it all the time, but, but you know what? When you're young, it can cripple you because it can keep you from talking to people. And I don't know anybody who's influenced our world. I don't know anybody in leadership who hasn't developed the skill of looking somebody in the eye and carrying on a conversation. I mean, just talking is really important. Now, the problem in my friendship with, with Sandy is that she has more words in her than I do. And uh, I have just a few words, the words like, fine. <laughs> it was nice. Good. I like that word, good. It was good. And she wants what? Details. She goes, well, what was good about it? Well, it was just nice there. Well, how is it Decorated? Decorated? can't say I noticed (laughs) and then to really inflict the misery she not only wants to know the details she wants to know then how it made me feel (sighs) that's that's harder than details I mean detail that kind of oh yeah what, what 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 did we do there But feelings, like I haven't thought of that question all day. How did it make me feel? So we've had to learn to meet in the middle. Sandy would probably honestly say, I'm not great at that yet. But over these 39 years of marriage, when it comes to details and feelings, I've improved. Because this is mission critical. you got to... If I'm gonna grow in intimacy, emotionally, with the one I love, and in fact, if you're dating, I mean, it's so easy to default to the physical stuff, I'm I'm not talking about sexual sin, but, you know, just the kissing, the holding hands, I mean, just the physical stuff, which can be stimulating, Um, and that, that becomes the only way of expressing intimacy. I mean, when you're dating, you need to learn to build, keep that minimal, and learn to build intimacy around really communicating your hearts to one another and communicating how much you value one another more than just through the physical expressions because this is the foundation of what will keep you going with a marriage partner for the rest of your life you just got to learn to do this but it's not just time and it's not just communication but it's it's vulnerability if you've ever really been on an adventure with somebody, you, you know how bonding that is emotionally. Like, like you know, just psh, we have that in common. We went through this adventure. Oh, man, we almost whatever. But we made it through, and we did it together. And, and, and there's just something about, about vulnerability. Like, we're in a vulnerable situation, and we made it through. Or, or just the vulnerability that comes from being honest. You'll find in your friendships, friendships will, will kind of get stuck at a one-dimensional level. If the person you're trying to build a friendship with is never kind of vulnerable with you, true intimacy emotionally does require some level of vulnerability. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. Friendship is born at that minute when one person says to another, What? You two? I thought I was the only one. At least someone was honest to be real, honest enough to be real with us. Or see Raymond Burr, friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. You don't have to pretend anymore. Their friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. Friends understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, with your friends, you breathe freely because you can be yourself. And so it's time, it's communication, but it's also vulnerability that really deepens intimacy. And the last word, as we continue to build on this foundation of trust and respect, the last word I see in this relationship between Adam and Eve it, that, that I find so important in my marriage and it's I believe so important in any of your marriages, it's the word responsibility. It's the word Responsibility. Sometimes we we live in marriage with this sense that I'm miserable because of my spouse. And what you're doing is taking your state of being and blaming it on them, as if you're powerless. But one of the great dynamics in any friendship, in fact, in premarital counseling, you know, you have to talk a lot about communication. That's so important. But you have to talk a lot about expectations. Like, like, what are the expectations I bring? Like, the condition, you know, how I might respond. And, and what do I expect my spouse to be? And that's really good as you prepare for marriage. But once you're married, the focus needs to be more on, okay, how do I take responsibility to be the person I need to be? And we see Adam messing this up right out of the gate. The next chapter, chapter 3, adam and eve they decide they can do a better job at being god than god can and so they go their own way and they take personal responsibility for the knowledge of good and evil human beings weren't designed to know evil by god so they they take it on themselves they say we can be god we can do better than God at being God, and they go on and and so they're naked suddenly they realize the shame of their nakedness, they're trying to cover themselves up with leaves, and they're hiding from God. They used to know this intimacy with God. and here in chapter three, now they're hiding with God. Everything gets distorted. It's in chapter three that you start seeing men dominating women and and all of this is a distortion that evil brings and and finally, Adam and God have a face-to-face conversation. And Adam, this guy, verse 12 of Genesis 3, and the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, that would have been perfect, the second half of that sentence would have been perfectly adequate. Lord, I took some of the fruit that ate eve gave me and i chose to eat it but no this isn't this like us rather than just take responsibility we got to blame somebody else here he's actually blaming god in part like god if you hadn't given me this woman i wouldn't have messed up but that woman that you gave me i'm sure god appreciated the lecture but well, sometimes we live our lives that way. I, I want, let me just put this in front of you. This is a powerful friendship dynamic. And it's a powerful marriage dynamic. Each one of us have to take responsibility for our own feelings and behaviors rather than trying to control the feelings and behaviors of our partner. Any relationship where you're feeling controlled, you're going to want to escape from it. That's just how we're wired. And you know what, sometimes you say, my welfare is dependent on me changing the person I'm married to. Well, you you will be affected by the person you're married to. Sandy and I had had this conversation yesterday reflecting on 39 years. We're different people because we married each other. But the one line that, that always makes things go bad is when like, I try to make her change. And I try to take responsibility for her feelings and behaviors rather than taking responsibility for me being who I need to be in that marriage and then working from there. That's why I will sometimes say in a wedding to a couple I'm marrying, stop asking whether this is the right person for you and start asking how you can be the right person for them. I mean, up to now, up to the time you come to this altar, it's perfectly legitimate to say, is that the right person for me? But once you make a lifelong covenant vow, at that point, you have to start taking responsibility. And I can't be living just sizing up whether Sandy's meeting my expectations every day. But I have to be sizing me up. And my expectations are what am I doing, not what's Sandy doing to be the right person for me, but what am I doing to be the right person for her? And that's taking responsibility. And you know, when it comes to this, there's hope for every one of us. I mean, it can be overwhelming. How do we even, how how do friendships even work in our lives, let alone alone marriage? But there's hope for all of us. After Adam partly blames God for his messing up. It says then, verse 21 of Genesis 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve, and he clothed them. They've been trying to cover themselves, their shame. This is what sin is, taking things in our own hearts. This is not what this is what not living for the Lord brings, a certain shame in his presence. We can't stand the idea of his holiness. We run from his presence. We despise everything God represents and the church represents and our parents represent. I mean, this, this, this is what happens when you try to be God instead of God. And, and, and they start co- trying to themselves cover up their shame with leaves. And what God does is he kills an animal and covers them and blood is shed And he covers them with the skins of an animal. And this this is probably one of the earliest pictures of what God would do. God who so loved the world. He sent his own son that we should not perish but have eternal life. His son shed his blood on the cross, died in our place, took our sin, our shame on himself so that we could be made new. And he clothed us. Not with our good works and our struggles and all the leaves we try to cover up our shame with, but look what Paul says in Galatians three twenty seven: For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Listen, we are clothed with Jesus. There's hope, and I tell you when I have to take when I have to stop asking the question of Sandy the right person for me. But how can I be the right person for her? I've got to die to myself. I mean, selfishness will kill every friendship and it will kill every marriage. How can I possibly die to my selfishness and die to my old? And how can I possibly die to past hurts I've experienced? It's because Jesus died and in him, in him, our old died. And we are now clothed with him. Hallelujah. And because Jesus clothes you and Jesus clothes me if we walk with him, we can have great friendships. And we can honor one another. i never forget years ago, a couple sitting in church I was talking about some of this stuff and, and it hit them like a lightning bolt. That the pain they'd inflicted on each other in all their conflicts in their marriage, that their past pain didn't need to determine what their future choices would become. You know, up to now, it's just been, I hurt, and so I react. And that just hurts the other person more, and they react more, and it becomes this vicious circle, hurt, reaction, hurt, reaction. I mean, what can finally intervene in that vicious cycle? It's Jesus who took our shame and our sin on the cross and now clothes us with himself. And he, because you're clothed with Christ, even your past pain does not have to determine your future choices. Hallelujah.